0: Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Welcome to another episode of Taishar Manethrin, a Wheel of Time podcast. I am Will. I'm Sam. And we are continuing our journey through the Shadow Rising. So, Sam, why don't you take
1: it away. Chapter 36. Chapter 36. The Aiel with Ran leave Roideon, as do the Shido. Supposedly, the peace of Roydeon extends to the trip home. But mistakes have been known to happen, so Ruark sends out scouts sets a reared guard of stone dogs because, you know, once you get it far enough away from Roydeon, things might happen. Right. Navienda is waiting outside Rand's tent and her first words are, Elaine is the woman for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. He asks what she means and she just starts quoting the Song of Solomon. Basically, it does get pretty awkward there. For a few <laughs> and he's minutes. like, "Whoa! I just woke up. What, what are you
0: talking about? Stop it. <laughs> Honestly, as far as description goes, that's about as explicit as things get in these this book series. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And this
0: is this moment when she's describing Elaine to him.
1: So then after that little bit We're on to Matt, who is, is observing as the IEO meet a group of peddlers wagons. Matt's chatting with Rand about it. And I can remember merchants who came to men's field with fewer wagons. And Rand grins and says, he came into the waste. I wonder if he will leave it again geez, man, some, some joke kind of dark. Yeah, of course, he you know, he kind of calls it like he sees it and he's he's saying like, oh, they're all dark friends. It's like maybe mm, maybe maybe, it, maybe if, if you just saw a bunch of random peddlers in the middle of the desert, it's like, OK, well, you can kind of see how he could get there. Right. You know, like uh, sure. yes, he's seeing dark friends everywhere he goes and, you know, in his dreams and stuff. And it's like so he, there is some some paranoia there. But also this is kind of suspicious generally. Anyway, so Ruark and Hiron go out to meet the peddlers. At the same time is Kuladin, Sarand Rand, and Matt follow them along with Avienda. And the main peddler's name is Hadnan Kadir, who said he's has he's headed to Cold Rocks. Ruark points out that he's going in the wrong direction and says that, you know, you're pretty close to Roideon And uh, that seems to sort of upset him. He's like, oh, I did not mean to be close yeah, to Yeah, because he knows he's not yeah, supposed he, to be... He does know. ...heading to Roideon. Within this book, we do
0: discover that there may have been some reasons why they were being misdirected towards Roideon. Right,
1: exactly. Yeah, we so. do. Matt offers to buy Kadir's hat, and he's kind of got like a wide-brimmed hat. And he's like, I'd really like that hat. An enormous warman named... Kl Sheogi accepts, snatching the hat from Kadir, and's like sold. <laughs> Pretty big moment
0: because this is a defining trait for Matt for the rest of the series. Is that he's yeah? Now got- he's
1: got he's got his his accoutrement. He's got his, his right. hat and his his, his he's, yeah. he's set, and his yeah. his, uh, his scar around his neck. Of course, I think there is
0: a Twitter account for Matt Cawthon's hat. If you <laughs> love it, want to get its opinion on things. I tried to get the Sorting Hat to weigh in on. Who should play Matt Cawthon's hat? Because it also has a, a Twitter account, <laughs> um, but it never responded to me. So it was
1: busy sorting, I guess.
0: Yeah, I guess so. It's probably the first years are coming in.
1: Indeed. Matt briefly notices a Gleeman. Though he vanishes before Matt can go get a chance to talk to him. He sees his patchwork cloak. So Ran says Kadir is dangerous because his eyes never change. Then Ran commences to mutter to himself again. <laughs> <laughs> just not doing himself any favors here in the, in the sanity department. Or maybe he's cultivating an image. I mean, I guess that's possible, but I don't think so. That doesn't yeah. seem to be what's happening. I just want people to know that I am totally crazy. I am just completely going live, to live this up and cheese it up. So on the chapter 37, the I.E. will decide to camp at Emory Stand because there's water there. Though Rand really wants them to keep going. And this is Rand's perspective. So he smiles at Matt in a way he hopes is reassuring. But we can guess it's probably kind of crazy looking just given the right. way things have been going. So then the back and forth between Avienda and Rand continues about Helene and etc. There's a house at Emory Stand that's covered in blood. Matt thinks Trollocs are to blame, but Avienda says Trollocs never come into the waste. We go hunt them. Then we uh, are introduced to the Gleeman, Jason Natale, who does a great job of getting Matt to tell him everything that happened in Rodeon with some well-placed flattery, implying he'll put, Matt in a Gleeman's tale. Really, it's just that Matt just, you know, wanted somebody to talk to, so he didn't mind, really. He didn't tell him everything. He didn't tell him about the snakes and the foxes. We're a little conditioned to trust a Gleeman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's just, you know, he's just like, oh, he's going to tell a story or he's going to make a bard's tale or right. whatever. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's not for, forbidden for him to talk about Rodeon like it is for the ideal. So he doesn't really care about telling right. him about it. Natale and Kiel, the the woman have a very suspicious conversation where she's like, we are not here for Rodeon. It doesn't send off any alarm bells for Matt. Like it probably should have, or like it, maybe it like it would, maybe it would for Rand. He's just kind of like, Oh, whatever. Y'all are having a,
0: y'all are having an argument. Huh. There's times where I think of the three boys that Matt might be the most oblivious to what is immediately going yeah, on around him. He,
1: he tends to be focused on like, OK, where, where's the next place I can throw some dice and, you know, have a serving girl sit on my knee, have a drink. And like right. <laughs> he's exactly. like he's like not very suspicious and just kind of like, oh, let's just move on. I'm going to get out of this. Right. Get out of What I'm doing here. So at dinner, Natale does tell a ballad, as a gleeman should, of Minethrin. And ah. Matt remembers it firsthand. <laughs> remembers it happening. This is like yes. one of our first times where Matt is like realizing what the foxes have done to him here. They've yes. given him some memories, just not the ones right. he wanted.
0: Yeah, wow. to fill in.
1: So, yeah, we're starting to get a picture that he has
0: a lot of different memories. In addition to the fact that this whole time he's been translating the old tongue without any hesitancy or with really without even noticing himself. Uh, Rand is usually saying, you know, oh, I don't even think he realized he was speaking the old tongue or things like that. There are a lot more of that is happening. He seems to basically be fluent in it now.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's like he's not it's not just that he's just he doesn't even realize it. Yet. Right. We, we got a sudden trollic attack. attack. Yes, we do. We were overdue 507, for Five hundred and seven. Yeah. And so you know, Avienda can you can probably eat your words now about the trollics not coming into the waste. I would say, yeah. <laughs> but they will still refer to it as the dying grounds after this scene, right? So Moraine checks on Rand, finds he was uninjured, <laughs> and then like Avienda is like still just follows him and just waits outside his tent. She's doing what she was told to do and he probably is at this point realizes what what's going on just kind of rolls his eyes a little bit like they've sent you to follow me listen to me haven't they <laughs> we do get a little bit of an indication
0: of what the foxhead medallion might be for too as oh good point matt, as matt is fighting every now and then the medallion grows cold right right so there's channeling some, it, 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 nearby yeah yeah it's doing something and mm-hmm. may, maybe we don't fully understand what yet
1: on to chapter 38 we check in with Dark friends, the Black Aja, and the Shan Chan. It's kind of a uh, kind of like a little prologue in the middle of the book. <laughs> we get like all of the all yeah. of the minor characters and just kind of what are they doing? We get a Guinan, uh, the yeah. Shan Chan, who is waiting for a report from the the Seeker for Truth, and uh, she he, she gets an, an idom that he found, and she's just really aware of what's going on with the Soldom, being able to channel.
0: As she leaves, she spots Doman. And decides to wait for him to leave so he won't spot her. Right, and then she sees Jakram Carden, and then we swap over to Jakram Carden's point of view. Uh, he's in a
1: meeting with the nobleman of Terabon, including the king. And I think this is when Leandrin sort of calls him out because she right. like knows she calls him by Boars. You know the name that we was in the right. prologue. One prologue, we're like, who is Boars? And then we found out much later, and like, well, it came back, and the name came back here. Yeah. So after after she kind of like calls him out and kind of intimidates him, she we we switch over to Leandrin's point of view. And it, it's kind of interesting to watch her get taken down a notch in this book because she's like so right. sort of self-satisfied and in control of the Black Aja. Uh, you know, her plan is to find a way to control Rand. And, you know, they believe that they're going to find it here in Tanchico. And, you know, there is something to that, of course. But there, that's the Black Aja's plan there. That's what they're doing there. And that's, you know... We know that Nineeven and and Elaine are there, searching, hunting them. So we go back to Guinan, and she confronts a uh, intruder. Oh, actually, I think I misspoke earlier and said it. She was talking to a Seeker of Truth. This is when she encounters the Seeker of Truth, who is, you know, basically a corporate man from (laughs) across the ocean, who works for the Shan Chan, and is just checking on the progress of the. The members of the blood who are left behind, right. and he wants Agenin to uh, make Soldom that she finds disappear, then return them to Shan Chan and ask for if she has any info on what's happened. So she doesn't really reveal anything to him. But then she goes to the basement after he's left and where she has a soldom captured right. <laughs> who is leashed by an idom where cuz she's you know she just knows what's going on so she just decides she needs to just you know kind of confirm for herself if all soldom can channel and then it's like this is dangerous information you know like yeah. what uh, what's going to happen with this that whole subplot seems so removed in from this book in particular, because the Sean Chan are not really a part of it. So it's like, anytime we get to that, it's like, it's easy just to just be like, ah, I don't want to read this because it's like not, it's not in, an immediate factor of like the IU and all the things that are happening uh, sure. that are happening there. But But it does, of course, come back and and end up being a very important subplot, but it's just a great example of something that's like, well...
0: Well, I think it also speaks to when an entire culture is built on a premise that is discovered by just any given individual in that culture to be completely false, right? or in this case, really hypocritical, then what do you as an individual that's a part of that machine do? Because... I think what Egyana is going through in this is she feels powerless. She doesn't know how to begin to confront this. Right. And that's part of why I think she knows full well at this point in the back of her mind, at least, you know, this is my head cannon, that that, yes, indeed, they all can channel I think she is
1: putting off dealing with that. Sure. sure. She's like, well, I just need to confirm it. I need to gather right. some more information, make sure I, before exactly. I try to make a move. Yeah. And then now for something completely different, we have chapter 39, which is actually, when I think of it, it may be one of my favorite chapters. <laughs> it's okay. appropriately named A Cup of Wine. Yes. Uh, in which some dude in a bar gets Elaine drunk, so she decides to go tweak Tom, Tom's mustache in the middle of the yeah. night. <laughs> yeah, because apparently the the Three Plum Court Tavern serves bottomless well drinks to pretty ladies. Um, or or just to Elaine, it's just this one creepy dude that like. Keeps, Maybe it was nickel yeah. shot. Yeah, no, or it, you know it's funny you say that. It makes me think of the wooden nickel back home. Yeah, <laughs> they actually yeah. made the news for for doing that. I mean, there was a, it was a whole big to do a couple of years ago. You know, yeah, had, like, there there magical, was like a like national news, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, not a good not a good hmm, picture for good... our hometown there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. not not so uh, great. Um, but anyway, so she had the magical cup that never empties, and she's like, I only had one one glass of wine, and then she kind of stumbles upstairs, right? Um, and she confronts Tom, kind of like knocks on his door drunkenly and tweaks his mustache, and then he gets really mad at her when she starts trash talking her mom. He's like, You yeah. do not talk about your mom that way. <laughs> yeah, she she's like basically figured out who he is, uh, but she's drunk and will not remember it in the ne- in the morning. Yep. So he takes her back to her room where Nynaeve promptly dunks her head in the water a bunch of times. <laughs> and Elaine says, I think I'm going to be sick. Nynaeve's like, what were you thinking? And, and Naineev with- always <laughs> supportive and maternal.
0: And <laughs> I'm just kidding. She uh, is not the so worst much person that. to have
1: if you're needing a tender exactly. kind of approach. And, and Elaine literally says, I only had one cup. Elaine, this is like your freshman year of college, isn't it? Clearly have no idea. So she's like you know, kind of sort of sobered up after having her head dunked a few times, and but it's Nynaeve's turn to go to the So so I just imagine Elaine like sitting on a, like a, a stool, just kind of like swaying a little bit, like trying <laughs> trying to stay awake, which is a fun image. So Nynaeve goes to yad and we encounter Slayer who, right. who who tries to kill her. And so this is a question: says he strangely looks like Lan by the way. Right. It does. It does say that. Was it clear to you at this point who Slayer it was? was? Not, nope. Yeah. Nope, not it, even a little. It wasn't they, to me either me now. You. And looking back, it's like, I see how it could have been, but it wasn't to me. Right. Yeah.
0: I, I really I feel like this is one of those things that you really do either have to go to the wiki or you have to read it to get the right. full the second time through picture, yeah, of of uh, who Slayer is, yeah, I would say
1: so, yeah, and and I think that there are there are hints in a certain sense. It isn't immediately obvious, especially yeah. the first read through. So tries to kill her, uh, but your Bir- Bugetta saves her. And this yep. is one of those times we we get this kind of ongoing, developing relationship of of kind of like back and forth between Brigetta and both Nynaeve and Elaine uh, when they're in Telerania. She yep. she she helps them out. So the next morning, Tom asks Elaine how she's doing, and she said she doesn't remember much because I may have eaten some bad apple jelly. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, really bad. Apple jelly. Yeah, real bad,
0: you. real bad apple jelly. I'm going to use that as a code for <laughs>
1: I think and that guy he, had some really bad apple jelly. Exactly. Elaine bandages Nynaeve where the arrow nicked her in odd, um, which I thought was interesting. And Nynaeve actually has like a hangover cure for her. Just like mm-hmm. makes her try to make her feel better. Chapter 40, back to Perrin. And
0: six days have passed since the rescue of Emmonsfield villagers from the White
1: Cloaks. Perrin is sitting in an apple orchard where his, whole family is buried which is like it's like a really kind of depressing image he's like just sitting there thinking about it lord luke shows up and parents says, smell he, good yeah parent thinks he smells inhuman so apparently the two rivers people have have dubbed him parent golden eyes he's now ongoing right. proof that he's sort of in charge of every you know like that they're looking to him as a leader so they've 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 been killing trollocs here and there a mere drawl Luke thinks they should they should go back to Emmons Field, but Perrin just is on the hunt for Trollocs because you know he wants to kill all the Trollocs that killed his family. It's fair. Mm-hmm. And, and to like kind of make the, the two rivers safe again, even though really he probably knows he should he should go back and that would probably be the smart thing to do. But then they find out that there's some trollocs nearby that can be ambushed. Uh, Lord Luke just sort of conveniently leaves before the fighting, <laughs> <laughs> so they decide to try to ambush the Trollocs. But then they get sudden Trolloc attack number whatever it is, <laughs> they get attacked. Yeah. <laughs> they get attacked, and this is not a good one for our heroes. There's no there's... one
0: expects the Trolloc Inquisition. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so then they take some losses themselves. They head out of the waterwood, head 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 back towards Edmund's field. I Fortunately Ivan shows
0: up and takes off a Trolloc's head before it can Get the parent right. This is the first time that they suffer a considerable right. loss. Yeah, and like, and, and
1: these are like kids, you know, a lot of them, and so this is like kind of brings home the the point that it isn't just this isn't all just like fun and games because they really were kind of in that kind of mindset of like, oh yeah, we're gonna go hunt Trollocs and this is a big adventure. Well, until they yeah. all until they start getting slaughtered by Trollocs. Right
0: up to this point, you kind of get the picture that they were kind of just mowing them down like grass, but. They're kind of reminded here with a fade on their sides. The trollocs are actually very deadly, right?
1: Right. So then they come across some um, On An and decide they're gonna they're gonna stay there for the night. But the Iel, of course, will not approach those. They call the lost ones. Of course, we know why now. And so they decide right. they're not gonna stay, which you know makes sense. This is the same group of uh, tinkers that Perrin met when he was with Elias, right? And so they're like, "Oh, Perrin, you still..." Uh... Still fighting, huh? It's kind of sad. And he sees Aram again. Aram is still kind of supercilious and, oh, you could never follow the way of the leaf. Yeah. Aram, he seems a little hot headed,
0: maybe a little right, arrogant right. for yeah. uh, one. Like most of the Tinkers are very humble and right. seem to be kind of mild in their personality. You do get a, a he kind of sets himself apart here reminding us that yeah he's i don't know there's
1: he's a little different than the rest of them. Yeah and his story I mean certainly continues to develop in this book and it's and I mean there's at least one scene that's really sad and we'll get to that. So this is also where Perrin Finally asks, Fael kind of finally confronts her. It's like, okay, who is your father really? And she tells him. Right, that, because she's been kind of going back and forth. Oh, right. he's a
0: merchant. Yeah, or, no, no. like, no, but who are you really?
1: Yes, or whatever. And, and he is Davram Bashir, one of the great captains. And, you know, he's not just like an ice pepper merchant merchant or whatever. <laughs> she's like, I wasn't yeah. lying about that. It just didn't tell the whole truth. <laughs> yes. In
0: one of his estates, they sell ice peppers. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> So, and she's like, well, then if I've, to- I've told you that, then tell me, you know, basically tell me about the, you know, tell me what, what's really going on, you know, with you. And he, he kind of tells her the story about Elias Mashera, how he learned how he could talk to wolves, how his eyes change color. And he, he actually says, so easy sometimes, especially in the dream, I forget I'm a man, not a wolf. If one of those times I don't remember quickly enough, I'll be a wolf. There won't be anything of me left. And she says, if your ears are really that sharp, I will have to watch what I say close to you. (laughs) So she's kind of takes it in stride. There's a degree to which you know the people that get frustrated with Fail, I just
0: I tend to feel like she is so perfect for parent. Yeah, and this is one of the ways. Yeah, exactly. She she doesn't she's like, I don't care about that. She's just not phased by that kind of thing at all. Because again, she's from the borderlands, like that's not a big deal, right? She's seen some really crazy stuff up there, presumably, so everything is kind of of like you know, as long as it's not crazy weird creatures coming out of nowhere to attack and kill me, then it's not a big deal, right? Exactly.
1: So then we go back to Perrin in the Wolf Dream, scouting around Emmonsfield in the kind of see if he can figure out where the Trollocs are. Goes to the Waygate, notices that there is one leaf on this side of the gate. Revealing that it's unlocked because Loyal had left both Leafs on this side of the gate saying like so that it would be locked. But it's just like, okay, well, that's obviously where the Trollocs and Mirdral are coming through. It's also the first hint that there is
0: someone on this side that was on this side of the gate that maybe doesn't need to be trusted.
1: Right. Exactly. It's like, how did that happen? Somebody must have unlocked it, basically. Um, Right. So, and this is when Perrin encounters Slayer and they kind of have like a back and forth where they're trying to chase each other. Yeah. And and then Perrin wakes up. He's like, I don't want to do this right now. Perrin tells Fahil about the open way gate. So she, but she's like, we can't do anything about that right now. You know, you're... Wounded because he was still wounded from the Trolloc attack. And it's not like there was an Aes Sedai there that could that could heal him. So they they leave, go back to Emmonsfield, and find that things have changed since they've been away. The farmers who've come to Emmons Field have like sort of tried to strengthen the defenses and right. build sharpened stakes, put sharpened stakes up to like prevent the Trollocs from getting in. Uh, they have catapults, and they get back, and everyone is, like, admiring Perrin. And-
0: They're getting ready for the orcs to attack Helm's Deep, basically. <laughs> exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Varen says that he needs he needs healing, but apparently she's not good at healing. It's so interesting to me how these, like, different Aes Sedai have different strengths in the power, but apparently Alana could heal him. In general, Varen is not that powerful, too, right, exactly. in the power. Yeah, yeah, she just has the knowledge typically. Right.
0: She's obviously, she's pretty sharp. And of course, we find out again and again that she's smarter than we realize. But yeah, her strength and the power is, is relatively small. As uh, you get the feeling that Brown Aja in
1: general Right, they're they're much them... more focused on, you know, writing books and, and keeping up with right. history and doing research and that sort of thing. Yeah. Varin basically takes Perrin to Alana to be healed. And this is where we sort of get the sad moment where like the family of all the, the kids who are with him are like, Hey, Will, whoever you know, whoever it is, come, you know, like and and then there's some of them that are like, Where's my kid? and oh wait, no, he's They've been they've been killed by Trollocs, you know. And so Perrin is sort of taking this guilt on himself, this horrible guilt that like people of these people have died under his leadership. Right. But he's also not mortally wounded, but very wounded. (laughs) So Loyal arrives and Perrin tells him
0: that Waygate is being used by Trollocs again. And Loyal blames himself. He's very upset. He's oh, I should have.
1: Destroyed the leaf and right, right, taking it away. So, Perrin, he just kind of passes out. <laughs> you can sort of figure with the way Loyal is behaving, he's like, he's gonna go do something about it, right? So, Perrin wakes back up and he's in a bed and he's like, Oh, crud, I need to. Go figure out what's going on with the way gate and jumps up and realizes he's naked. And if is standing there and he's like, he's recovering from the flu, he's really weak, but he's determined. So he throws his clothes on and Fiel like, no, you need to get back in bed. And and he's like, no, I I will not. (laughs) So he's kind of walking out of the room with her holding on to him, like hanging off of him. And he's like, I'm going to go find him because she says that loyal and gall have gone to the way gate. And he's like, well, I'm going to go. I can catch up to them on my horse. And she says, you're a mad Paranabara. What chance you can even find them in that forest? And he's like, I'm not so bad at tracking myself. I can find them. She says, you can get yourself killed, you hairy fool. And then they fall down the stairs together. Yes. <laughs> Which is a great moment. Which, for, <laughs> she's yeah. like, and she's like on top of him. He's like, don't get Are you OK?
0: <laughs> it's kind of funny when you read it. I, to me, it's got to be in the show because this is uh, representative of the kind of tone that you have where when we just had a scene where Perrin lost a lot of young people, then he has to face their families. And he's on the brink of death and he passes out. And so things are looking pretty dire. And I feel like we kind of need this moment of just goofy physical comedy for a second to kind of bounce back from that. And I think it's also indicative of
1: one of the ways this book is not grimdark exactly yeah no that that's a really good point and I, it's uh it, it maybe it's one of the reasons i like this book so much as it does have those moments that are just just kind of comical and and you know, it right. brings us back from the brink of like oh man everything's so bleak <laughs> yeah there's a shout of Trollocs, right and parents like i'm gonna go check that out even if i feel like i'm still Kind of feel not good. And so Bane and Shi'ad show up and says that there are a lot of Trollocs that are about to attack. So Perrin goes to Tam and Abel and Bran and is like, all right, what are we going to do? And Bran's like, all right, we need to get ready. Let's get, you know, we, we're, we're ready for this. Let's get everybody in their places. Perrin would like to send Fael back to the end. But he realizes that it doesn't matter that she's not going to go. And also, she probably wouldn't be any safer there than she would be with him anyway. This is also when yeah. the Wolfhead Banner shows up.
0: This is a moment that if if they played it right, I think could be comedic. If every time the Wolfhead Banner shows up the first several times, he's like, get, get put that thing away. Like,
1: <laughs> right, right. it
0: just keeps Showing up behind him, like maybe he doesn't even <laughs> see it. And, yeah, Monty Python
1: know. kind of thing. Yeah, Okay. Right. And he's like, God, oh, put- <laughs> don't get rid of that thing. We don't <laughs> need that yeah, crap. Put, put that, yeah, put that one. <laughs> <laughs> right. So then there is a minor trollic attack, but the archers and catapult are able to kill all of them, including three fades. And... So everybody's like, "Yeah, we beat them," and but Tam and Tomas are smarter than that. Yeah, and- they're like, "Wait a minute, this was not really a, this was a faint, fi- if, if anything, this was not a not a real battle." So then we fail and Perrin, where we find out basically that the the Tinkers were attacked, and so they've come to the village to seek shelter against the Trollocs. Um, this is really interesting because it's like some of the residents, some of the the people in Emmonsfield are, are clearly like, "Ah, oh, we don't want them here." And it is it is clear, clear that there's this this prejudice against the the Tinkers like, oh, they're going to steal our daughters away. And all of the typical prejudice that comes along with the Tinkers and Perrin's like, don't cut that nonsense out. You know, these people just got attacked by Trollocs. Let them in. And so Perrin tries to starts to wonder, you know, how many Trollocs are really out there. He decides he wants to go after Loyal and Gaul. And Harold Luhan asks him question and before he can do anything uh, there are like a bunch of people who are asking him for advice and so he's sort of drawn into trying to manage the town and starts just trying to provide answers and and solutions and doesn't really do much but it's like people just want the reassurance that he's paying attention to them and that like (laughs) that he's in charge (laughs) so then Lord Luke arrives has a mirror draw head and says you know he's got tall tales of, of having done a bunch of killing himself. Right. We've never like actually seen him fight. So it's like, well, Lord knows what he actually did. Right. Um, Perrin really realizes that he hasn't had anything to eat and he's still recovering from healing. So he's just like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go get something to eat. And this is when Fael comes in and, and we've arrived at a place where Aaron walks in and he's, this is a really intense scene. Cause it, we, we find out that Aram's mother has died in the fight with the Trollocs. And so Aram's, angry and sad and goes to pick up a sword and right as his grandmother sort of walks in and sees him. And she's like, no, Aram, don't do it. It's not the way of the leaf. And Perrin sort of steps up and defends him and says, you know, any man can learn to defend himself if he so desires. And it's just like this really sad scene of you can see the parallel where perrin sort of had similar thoughts about you know the 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 hammer and the axe you know it's like right you know i don't want to live this life but this is the sort of the reality of the world that they live in right now that you know that there's violence everywhere and there's no no way around it and so he's he's like no if he wants to pick up the sword and learn to learn to use it he can and he tells him you know go get Tam to teach you how to, I don't know, how to use a sword. You get Tam to teach you. And it's just this really sort of sad, powerful right.
0: scene. As this is the end of the chapter. And I think probably we're coming up on a good place to pause. I think we can switch over into talking some spoilers. Spoiler alert. Um, spoiler alert. <laughs> so if you, uh, if you don't want to hear some spoilers for future books or, or whatever, then uh, go ahead and turn it off now and join us next week. If you, You have read the books or you don't care about spoilers. One of the interesting things about this scene, upon a reread, is knowing eventually what happens with Aram's character. Right. He, in the end, turns against Perrin. Masima convinces him that Perrin is a shadow spawn and Aram dies in the midst of trying to kill Perrin. Aram's whole story is totally tragic. It it really is, yeah. And but it's just so interesting because here in this moment, I remembered it a little differently than I think it actually happens because I think I, I was kind of thinking that Perrin wasn't quite as quite as supportive, but he actually is yeah, very much is. like he's Yeah, like, he's like
1: the reason that Aram I mean Aram was probably gonna do it anyway, but he just right. encourages him. He's yeah, you know, he's like supports him in, in his choice to to you know, and this is like Aram is following in the tradition of of Aiel who, the Jin Aiel and the the Tinkers who turned from the way of the leaf. And of course, they picked up a spear and he actually picked up a sword. Oh, you know. Right. Yeah. It's kind
0: of reminiscent of that, especially since we just found out about that a few chapters ago. Right. But also just, it's interesting looking forward, knowing that, how would it have played differently if Perrin had said to him, don't. Right. Right. Exactly.
1: exactly. Yeah. Like, don't. You, you don't you don't need to throw this throw away this thing you have, you know, the way right. of the leave,
0: you know? Yeah. And I think in some ways we miss a little opportunity when we get into that section of the books really is towards the end of the slog. So things are kind of. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I completely have forgotten about that. <laughs> so yeah. that's interesting. No, it's, yeah. It's, it's, but, again, it's it's one of those things that's easy to forget. But it's I'm just thinking about that moment. You know, he comes after Perrin. And in the midst of it, uh, I, I can't remember who it is. Somebody shoots an arrow through him and he and he dies. And Perrin, of course, is just heartbroken over right, it all because right, he
1: never would want that to happen. I mean, he felt like he he felt some ownership of, of Aram's future, probably just because of this scene and, and right, others like it. Exactly. Like he felt like he was someone that he had sort of mentored to some degree. In one big way, it, it is
0: somewhat his fault that he had that sword at all right and so is. yeah
1: for sure you know, anyway it's just interesting reflecting back on that now we've got to talk about Varen. yeah yeah i'm glad we i'm glad you i'm glad you brought her back up yeah it's like you know we were talking about the three oaths and how often enough i said i would stand there like oh do i feel threatened or not but of course Varen right. is not tied to the three oaths, and she right. totally could have thrown a fireball at whoever she wanted but yes she didn't want to give herself away so she's not going to do that and i'll you know and also right. her motivations are suspect at best Yes. You also have
0: a lot of stuff in these chapters and and more in in the, the chapters we'll get into of the next couple of weeks where you see Varen observing things that, in retrospect, make it clear that she knew more about Slayer and maybe Wolf Brothers or whatever in general, the Wolf Dream, than maybe she was letting on also. Sure, sure. Which, in general, you can pretty much bank on Varen knowing more than she's letting on. Oh, yeah. That's her whole thing. Right. It's much more interesting to see her react to different things that Perrin says and and the others say in response to her. But something that's clear, and I don't know if it's as much the chapters we just got into as it is the ones that follow, but in uh, later books, when Perrin meets the Shan-Chan and um, helps lead them against the Shido, one of the Shan-Chan leaders says to him something about, oh, when the Wolf King holds the hammer, then basically the the last battle is near. And Varen actually refers to that indirectly. Yeah. With she sees him with the hammer. She says something about, oh, interesting or whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's and so, that's fair. It's just interesting. These chapters to me, when you know, when I say they all read differently, I, I yeah, just go through all of that and think Varen was written in such a way that yes, she clearly had a lot more information than she was letting on.
1: Every time we read a scene with Varen, it's pretty clear that that's the case. You can read every scene differently with her with just a little bit of backstory of, of who she is a little bit more knowledge as opposed to like this image that she portrays as this person who's absent minded, like, Oh, I'm just kind of mumbling along.
0: We are stopping there and we will pick it up. Next week, with chapter 46 of The Shadow Rising. As always, we love to hear from you. So visit our website at podcast.com fill out our contact form, and say, Hey, if you say something nice and friendly, we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. Heck yeah. And you can always contact us at Podcast TSM on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Jump on there. We post some funny memes that are related to Wheel of Time. And if you have theories or or whatever. What do you think these other cast members are going to play that we haven't figured out who they're supposed to be I doing? I was going to say,
1: the the one that we talked about briefly, the one that we're saying could be parents wife or whatever, Why? I, right. it seems more likely that'd be Elaine or Men. Right. Like, come on, yeah. guys. If, if yeah. they really are going to give Perrin a wife at the beginning of the show, this, this show is going a wildly different direction from the books. I mean, right. there's just no getting around that. That's my hope, too. And I almost wonder if whatever was
0: put on that online CV was done so as a red herring. Sure, sure. I would hope so. What are your thoughts on that? And anything else in regards to the books or the upcoming show? We'd love to hear about it. So let us know. And until next time, Tyshaar Manethrin.